The Onnit difference is in the details, which is why we just added three new styles of our training tech collection. Built with the Onnit aesthetic you know and love, battle-tested to withstand your toughest workouts. Easily transition from your workout to the office to the grocery store, all without sacrificing comfort, performance, or style. Perfect on its own or for layering over compression gear in cold weather. The sweat-wicking, breathable tri-blend fabric was thoughtfully designed to blur the line between performance and style. Our new technical gear has been thoroughly wear tested on our own trainers and athletes here at Onnit HQ, including myself. And the results are in no adjusting, no constantly pulling up or down, and no digging in. Just comfortable, durable threads built to work as hard as you do day after day. Bottom line, the new training knit collection does its job in style so that you can focus on what matters most, conquering your goals and looking damn good doing it. Learn more at Onnit.com. And as always, 10% off all supplements and foods at onnit.com slash podcast. What's up, y'all? We got a special bonus episode on a Friday in the first week of March, and it is fucking fire. Finally, I get to sit down with Jade Bryce, a longtime friend of mine and my wife's. She is a Bellator or a former Bellator ring girl, currently a ring girl for Invicta. She is the host, co-host with Mercedes Terrell of the Magic Hour podcast, and just an excellent person, a mother of two, a fellow psychonaut who's been down the plant medicine path and gone super deep, and she jumps into a lot of cool shit. We talk mentorship with a guy named Tom Shadiak, who's a very close friend of hers, who Aubrey and I will both have on our podcast in the near future, and we talk a lot of other cool stuff. I know you guys are going to dig this one. Thanks for tuning in. My friend, Jade Bryce, is in the house. And, uh, you know, you gave me one of the most glorious intros. I typically <laughs> do the intros after, but I just want to say, uh, you were the first friend of Natasha's and mine that I had when we came here to Austin. Yeah. And right when I got off the plane for my interview with Onnit, he took me out. You picked me up from the airport mm-hmm. and took me out to dinner, I think, on Rainy Street. We went yeah. to an Indian cuisine joint. Uh-huh. Taj Mahal. Taj Mahal. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was fire. It was so good. Garage Mahal. Yeah. Garage Mahal. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was great. And Rainy Street, for people that haven't mm-hmm. been here, is like a bunch of old houses that got converted into mm-hmm. businesses. Pretty cool spot. But yeah. that's one of my fondest memories of coming here was just feeling all the love coming into Austin and feeling like, oh, okay, we're not all alone. We got some people here we can yeah. hang with and vibe with. And um, It's funny because wanna... before your intro, I had talked about that dinner because mm. it was so beautiful that in the middle of a downtown crowded restaurant, this 200-pound could be a scary looking dude, cried when he talked about his last ceremony and his wife. And it meant so much to me that you were so open and vulnerable. And I remember telling people that next day that like for three days, I felt like I had just had a little mini vacation because it was so refreshing to just sit with you and you'd be so open. And like I felt so seen by you too. And so that was like one of the first times that I realized how different my relationship was with you and Tasha than it was with other some other people. And that was when I really wanted to cultivate more of that in my life. So that was a really, I remember that night really well because it was a really pivotal night for me too. So mm, Yeah, thank you. Well, I cry a lot, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I totally forgot about that until you brought it up. <laughs> I do cry a lot. Um, well, let's, let's get started here. I want to talk a bit about... Um, what life was like growing up for you. I know you had it pretty rough and you've you've transitioned beautifully into the person that you are today. So I want to go through the arc of that scope and see um, what the tools have been that got you out of, out of trouble. But let's talk yeah. about growing up. Okay. So both of my parents had some uh, unhealthy addictions. They had me when they were teenagers. And you know, like you say about your parents, they were doing the best that they could with the tools that they had. But it definitely was um, a rough time for me and my siblings. My uh, birth dad was very violent. Um, One of my earliest memories is him chasing me with a hammer and I jumped off our third story patio. So I was like maybe three. Um, And my mom is a, he's the same person now, still drug addicted, still um, not in a good place. Uh, I think that he's um, like a sexual predator even. So there's like no way, even though I've forgiven him in my heart, there's no way I can allow him in my life. Um, My mom, on the other hand, is completely changed now. She's um, done a lot of uh, counseling. She takes medicine. And although I wish it was a natural medicine, it at least gets her to where 
she is able to be, you know, part of my kid's life and things mm. like that. But she did some really inhumane, just non-human things when I was a kid also. And um, a lot of dark memories there as well. Um, I think that ceremonies have helped me a lot. Um, what's crazy though, is I thought that my childhood was really dark and really hard until I had a ceremony that was dark. And I was like, this is the worst night of my entire life. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that, um, when I was around 10, I started running away from home. Um, I was being sexually molested by some cousins and, um, verbally and physically abused by parents. So I started running away from home at 10, um, also trying to commit suicide at that age and luckily never succeeded, but it's really odd that I didn't. Obviously there was a, a, a plan, you know, um, around 14, I stopped going to school and started living in my car. I, I, at 14 was driving, um, a little Ford Festiva, literally <laughs> two guys could pick it up and hide it from me. Um, because it was so small, but started living in my car. I was working full-time at 14 um, and continued in that for a couple of years. And it was just a very hopeless and empty life. I didn't feel like I had anyone to love. I didn't feel like I had anyone that loved me. I actually was hoping to get pregnant just so that I had someone mm. to have that relationship with. And around my 16th birthday, I was just so depressed and didn't know what I felt about God, didn't know what I felt about a higher being, but I started to just cry out for help because I want, I, I started to realize I was becoming just like my parents. I was staying high all day long, waitressing, throwing newspapers and had no family. So um, I started to cry out for help. And after you know, crying can be so cleansing, you know? So after a couple hours of crying, just that alone was really cleansing, but I started to feel a really just pure peace. And even though I don't know exactly what that was, it that was a very big moment for me because that's when I realized this is what I want to live in, not in the darkness and the anxiety. And so that's when I started to try to find mentors. And I started going to like youth camps and I enrolled myself in the Youth Homeless Association so that I could finish school. And yeah, from then on out, I took a different path. And I'm really glad because there's other family members that stayed on that path and they're still struggling. So Yeah. Yeah. It's always hard as we grow out of mm -hmm. our own shells and become different people to witness those that are still trapped in their own demons. Mm -hmm. um, we had Alan Stein Jr. on the podcast and he talked about a quote he had heard from Frank Shamrock. And I don't even think it's from Frank. I'm, I'm actually in disbelief it's from mm -hmm. Frank. All the love to Frank Shamrock. But he said, Everybody needs a plus, an equal, and a minus in their life. The minus is the person you teach, so you get the role of the plus. The equal is the person you see eye to eye with. Mm. And the plus is the person who mentors you. Mm. Talk about your mentorship with Tom and what it's meant for you. Yeah, so there were a couple of people in my life, actually, that made me feel seen after turning, after turning that um, point in my life that just said, you're different. You're going to be somebody. You're going to make a difference. Um, and one of them was a youth pastor um, right around then, around 16. When I was 23, uh, and that guy was really key in my life also, but when I was 23, um, I went to the White House to uh, petition and, um, you know, protest having Joseph Coney arrested on the icon of war crimes. He was the one that led the LRA in Uganda and was forcing all these thousands of, ch of child uh, soldiers to kill their own families and things like that. So we were trying to get Joseph Coney arrested. That's where I met Tom. And we didn't, uh, you know, really hang out. We just met. And I just remembered for years, I remembered that guy being something, he was going to change the world. I remember just feeling that about him and really hoping to be like him really. And a couple years later is when I moved to LA. Um, this guy, Ben, asked if I wanted to go to his friend Tom's house. Had no idea it was the same Tom. And so we're, uh, you know, we go and we're having making s'mores on his patio. And it was instant for both of us. We just both felt like we must have been family members or best friends in another life because it was an immediate connection. And Tom still laughs that 
I was taking notes while just talking to him because I just, <laughs> that's, he has that effect on you. You're like, I don't want to forget this. Everything you're saying is so important. And what he felt though about that was that I was um, a truth seeker, that I was really wanting to grow because I was trying to take notes on a conversation with him. And I just felt like this is who I want to be. This is my, this is my goal is what this man has. And um, so it was a really deep connection from that night forward. And we started to be breakup buddies. We started to spend a lot of time together on holidays and because we're both kind of the same when it comes to, um, I don't, I guess we're not necessarily extroverts. We don't, we're not the type to go um, out, be super duper social, but we want to sit and have those really important, deep conversations. Mm. Um, neither of us are big small talkers. And so we ended up spending a lot of time together, a lot of writing periods and Telluride and um, a lot of trips. And his mentorship and his um, relationship has really shaped who I am today because he's always seen me for who I want to be. You know, he already sees me as that. And he's always asked me, his key question in my life has always been, do you want to live in fear or do you want to live in love? Which one are you going to choose? And really, when I think about that, it's always been the deciding factor in whether or not I'm going to stay in that relationship or stay in that job or, you know, you think about it, it's always comes down to fear or love, right? Yeah. And love always wins. If you, if you listen. So him asking me that question all the time and just, just being that person that sees me and believes in me. I think when you have that, especially when you come from a broken childhood, when you have that one person, it makes all the difference. Um, but I really made space. I think at that time in my life, I had really made space for someone like Tom and was really trying to manifest that person in my life. Um, and I think that if we... I know you have that, you and Aubrey have that with each other. I think that a lot of us, when we don't have that, it's evident, you know? So if we can just make space and and even maybe put on paper what we want and a mentor, what we want in that friendship, it comes along. So. Yeah, I think that's really important for people to do that, just to, to iron out the details of what you want mm-hmm. in a friend or what you want in a mentor, mm-hmm. what you want in a relationship. Mm-hmm. All those things are critical. And then it's not like the secret, you wish mm-hmm. it and it just happens, but I mean, <laughs> yeah. you got to go out and do the work and, and, and work for the thing. And all mm-hmm. relationships take effort from both parties, but shit has a, has a way of finding you. Mm-hmm. It just has a way of showing up in your life. And for those that don't know, Tom Shadyak did the original Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Mm-hmm. He directed Liar Liar. He directed a ton Nutty Professor, of great, yeah, Nutty Adams. Professor, just amazing. Most importantly, movies. I Am. Most importantly, <laughs> the documentary I Am, which I highly recommend. We're going to link to that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend people watch that. And if you haven't, if you have already seen it, watch it again, mm-hmm. because it is just fucking spot on. Um, And he raises the bar for how we all should live, you know? And I think that having someone in your life that you can look up to, first of all, you look up to them because what you're seeing in them is also in you, you know? Um, And they're just reflecting that back to you. And I think that when you, you know, there's that maybe cheesy or cliche saying that you become like the people you spend the most time with, you know? So if you think about that, like, who do you want to become and then surround yourself with that? You know, I'm very, very blessed to be able to be around Natasha a couple times a week. You know, I think that she really benefits me and who I want to be as a mother, who I want to be as a wife, and just as a woman who's unapolo- unapologetically herself. When, you, when you're around Tasha, you know she's Tasha. She's not being anyone else. Yeah, you know? she's not forcing herself into, mm-hmm. you know, some type of cookie cutter version of herself to yeah. please people. She's mm-hmm. herself. And mm-hmm. if you love her, you love her for who she is. Mm-hmm. If you don't, then she's fucking- <laughs> Then you're dead. missing out. Yeah, you're missing out. And she's yeah. not afraid to tell you about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bear's already that way. <laughs> bear's for sure that way. Talk a bit about when you got started with plant medicines and how that path has started to shape you as a person. So you and Tasha- are really who started that journey for me. And I think that's one of the reasons also why I feel like for the rest of my life, I'm going to be connected to you guys because that's changed the rest of my life is is doing plant medicines. And even if I had only done the first few, 
my life would still be forever changed. But I have my 14th one coming up uh, in two weeks. With ayahuasca? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so a few things that it's done for me... Um, It's, you know, as a woman who, I don't, I, I don't know if Tasha went through the same thing, but as a woman who had two pregnancies back to back and both were C-sections um, and the hormonal cycle that you go through with all that, there was a part of me that started to not appreciate my body and what it had done mm -hmm. and instead was judging my body and how different it was from before. And ayahuasca has really helped me to see myself as um, as beautiful and as sexy. And every ceremony I become this red fox and Japanese red fox. And it's like, it sounds so, I know you understand, but it sounds so weird. But like when you're touching yourself during a ceremony, you're like feeling the fur and not your skin, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And it was just, it's so soft. And the, the Japanese red fox is so coy and playful and sexy. And um, each time I'm that red fox in ceremony, I become a little bit more of that afterwards. There's you know? an embodiment. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said the other day, it's it's also an awareness like, okay, well, it's not a snap of the fingers. There's homework to be done, but there's an awareness after and a, you know, you realize, okay, I don't want to live this way. I want to live this way. And it's not like all of a sudden you're doing that, but you're aware of it. So you're making progress each day, you know? Mm. Um, so yeah, the, the red fox, um, which I always thought that my spirit animal would be an elephant because I've always been really drawn to them. But it's weird how um, how much that Japanese red fox has become really like a, a part of me. Um, and so there's that. And then, um, geez, just so much ancestral work, so much um, healing. Um, there's been times when, you know, I just wanted to become more of my inner shaman and it would take me places um, to try to cultivate more of my masculine energy instead of seeking that from outside myself, mm. which I've always done. Um, a bird always comes up. I'm always, uh, you know, in my last relationship, I was called, my uh, pet name was Bird. So there's been times when I felt like a watered down version of myself and I'm a bird with my wings clipped. And something that's so key in my ceremonies is that the shaman provides the right container. He's so in tune with my needs without me telling him I'm a bird with clipped wings. He'll come over with bird feathers and like remove those clips, you mm. know? And um, so another time I was mourning um, some pain from these last couple of years and he came and put a bunch of tissues in my hand and uh, for me to cry into, but I thought it was a dead dove. And I was like, how could he, how could he, when he sees how much pain I'm <laughs> pretty in. Pretty bird, yeah. pretty bird. <laughs> yeah. Little dumb and dumber. Yeah. So, um, it, you know, without him knowing that I've been called bird all this time and that I'm mourning this and, and then he puts this tissue in my hand and I think it's a dead dove. There was like the next day you always realize like, oh man, it all makes sense now, you know? So each ceremony has played such a different um, healing in my life. Um, I haven't, I have not gone anywhere with my birth dad yet. I'm mm. sure that's going to be a really, really hard ceremony. Um, I haven't asked for it yet. And I know, you know, I am so gentle at times. <laughs> um, <laughs> not all the time. There's been times when I can feel it getting really dark and I'll ask her like, Oh, I'm not ready. Can we please go another direction? And and we do. We go another direction. Um, I I haven't been in the place where I see my birth dad yet. So I'm really curious how that's going to go because I'm sure that's going to make a big. I honestly, it might come this month because <laughs> this month my intention intention is to deal with my codependency on alcoholics in my life because of my upbringing, and that's all going to probably be based off my birth yeah. father. I think that in my relationships, I try to heal my wounds with him. So we may go there this month, <laughs> not looking forward to it, but of course I'm looking forward to the healing and I'm open to whatever is going to come. Um, I've only done Huachuma once, but that was also really, really interesting. Um, I felt my heart chakra and my um, throat chakra merge. And I think I had told you, I was like, 
yes, I'm going to speak my truth. And then Huachuma was kind of, you know, laughing like, no, you're going to speak in love. Um, and so I realized um, that with people who drink a lot, there's like a um, me trying to speak truth to them, me trying to trying to raise them to, to you know, their potential. And I realized then that it, it wasn't coming from love. It was coming from judgment of my birth dad. So there was that. But uh, another thing that I, a big takeaway from Wachuma was that we judge others by their actions and ourselves by our intentions. So through BPI, this is a little woo-woo, but through BPI and through studying under my shaman, I've been able to now see auras on people. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when I see an aura on someone or I see their energy, I have to remember to take a step back and remember that may not be what they're wanting me to see, you know? So if they're angry and I'm seeing a darkness over them, I need to take a step back and remember this is from everything that they've gone through. This is their filter of their life and their story. Don't judge them because you're seeing their aura. Like instead be able to uh, come from compassion and that and and be there. Like nobody wants you to see a brown or a low functioning, you know? Yeah, it'd be like if you could read minds like Professor yeah. X and you're reading people's minds and they're like, yeah. what the fuck? I didn't say anything out loud. Get yeah. out of my head. You know, like, yeah. like Magneto is always like, get out of my head, Charles. You know, like yeah. you, wouldn't, you wouldn't want that from people. Um, it's not fair. It isn't fair because you don't want to. Yeah, you don't want to be read. You know, and I'm, it's obviously. I mean, it, look, if you've done plant medicines, it's quite likely you've seen auras on people or on yourself or on plants. Um, it's not that woo woo for people that mm. have kind of gone through a decent yeah. amount of the those experiences. Mm. For people that haven't, the human energy field is very real. And they talk about this in I Am. There's a lot of work yes. being done at the HeartMath Institute in Boulder Creek. Uh, where my father lives, California, in the Santa mm -hmm. Cruz Mountains, where they can see the heart chakra, if you will, or this heart space has an eight-foot range yes. when you're uh -huh. fully radiant, mm -hmm. you know, and then that that shrinks in anger, guilt, and shame. That that how far you touch people shrinks. Plexus, yeah. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. they're able to see this now. And uh, there's a great book called I think it's called Infinite Mind by Lori Hunt, who is a professor at UCLA. And she started studying this. She was a physics professor in the 70s. And uh, they started looking at, you know, she asked her students at the beginning of every semester what they want to learn. And meta the metaphysical was really coming up at that point. And all the students wanted to learn about the metaphysical. Mm. They didn't give a shit about regular physics. So mm. they started looking into this. And um, I think it was UCLA that made the first a large building on campus where they could record the human energy field or the aura for that matter. Mm -hmm. And there's tons of these photos in the book. I highly recommend it for people mm -hmm. that are like rolling their yeah, fucking eyes it. right now. Maybe yeah. we've already lost them, <laughs> but if you're still with us, uh, yeah, Dr. Wayne Dyer recommended that book and it just oh. blew my fucking mind. Wow. Um, how dialed in it was and really um, how we can influence that mm -hmm. through negative ions from the ocean, um, that expands mm. us, that makes us feel better. Uh, and just lo lots of various practices, meditation, all these things. But And sometimes we're seeing people's energy. Like before you realize that you're seeing someone's energy, you you see it and you just don't know that that's what you're seeing. You know, before I started doing plant medicine or working under my shaman, I would, I would see an anger on someone and I would kind of like, you know, react like, um, kind of flinch and it would be offensive. And I didn't realize until later on doing the work that I was able to see energy. Um, you walk, walk we don't by realize. somebody and you're like, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that we're all born with that ability. The thing is, is we, um, we turn it off because it's discredited or we, you know, we see our parent in a bad mood and we ask what's wrong and that nothing's wrong. And so we start to question what we're you. seeing. Yeah. For right. asking that, right. Um, when I was three or four, I was talking, I was in the bathroom on the toilet talking to this old lady that I thought was in the bathroom. And my mom called from the living room and said, who are you talking to? And I said, it's your grandma. She said she loves you and she wishes she was here to make tortillas for you. I had no idea because I was only three or four that she had just passed away. And my mom was warning her and thinking, I don't know if she ever really loved me because she was a really hard lady. She grew up in uh, Mexico and, you know, dirt floors and had to be hard to survive. My mom, when she passed away, my mom was thinking, I don't know if she really loved me. And I also didn't get her recipe for tortillas and like, you know, just all these things. And then 
because of what, what I said made so much sense to her and she believed it a hundred percent, she validated it instead mm. of m- causing me to question it. Yeah. And I think that that moments like that in my life, um, growing up in a religious, a couple different religious homes also, when I would see something because they believed in the spiritual realm, they validated it instead of discredited it. And so I never turned it off, but yeah. I wasn't realizing that what I was seeing other people couldn't see. Um, yeah. And I remember one time this, someone <clears throat> from what I thought they were hissing at me, it turns out, <clears throat> turns out that wasn't happening. And in that Huachuma ceremony, I realized that, you know, to always just take a step back, take a moment and ask myself what's really, what's really going on and use that as a way to be able to meet that person where they're at instead of judging them. Nobody wants to be an angry person, yeah. you know? So, um, but yeah, that's a, that book sounds amazing. Um, it's, it is, sounds so woo woo and so weird to say that you can see the, you know, the aura and the heart. I, um, but it becomes something once you allow yourself, I think once you realize that you have it and you allow it to just be turned on, it becomes so natural for you that it's, you're no longer responding to it in a like, when I see you sometimes, your your energy is always neon. It's always pink or green and it's neon. But I it's, like pink. It's very high functioning. It's, it's yeah. <laughs> um, and when I see you, it's no like, or when I see Tasha, it's when you turn that on and you're comfortable with it, it's no longer like something you react to. It's something that you just enjoy about someone, mm. you know? So, yeah. That's cool. And that's, for people that are still rolling their eyes, I mean, <laughs> there there are quite a few circumstances where you're at a party and someone comes into the room and you're like, oh, I just mm-hmm. get fucking creeped out from that guy. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, that, so that lady really weirds me out. And whatever it is, you can maybe you don't see anything or hear anything, but you feel it. Mm-hmm. And that is palpable. And there is that language from heart to heart of mm-hmm. us connecting Whether to one another. Exactly. Yeah. You don't have to see it to believe it. Yeah. And, and um, I think that's something that's quite a few people, if you really think about it, you'd be like, yeah. I get that. Yeah. And something I try to remember with that too is that our subconscious is making up so much of our reactions to people and our judgments to people. Like your subconscious can't differentiate from yesterday or today. So when you see a waitress and she just rubs you in the wrong way, it may be because she walks the same way that some babysitter walked when she was mean to you. And so your subconscious picks up on that, relates her to your mean babysitter, and then you're judging this person and they have nothing to do with why you're feeling the way that you feel, you know? So I try to remember that too, that so much of our subconscious is making up a story in our head. Yeah. And it's all stories as, as we know yeah. from our good buddy, Eric Godsey. Yeah. <laughs> His Love podcast him. just, just uh, released today. So oh. yeah, super happy with that. Um, you have two amazing kids mm-hmm. and soul is fairly close to bear's age. A That's also away. bear's uh, middle name, mm-hmm. Soul, after the sun. Yeah. And um, you have Jaya, your beautiful daughter. So mm-hmm. you had a boy and a girl. Mm-hmm. Talk about what it's been like raising them and what you've learned along the way. Oh, man. They have been my greatest teachers. It's crazy because something I've asked for for a decade now is patience. I'm always asking for patience. And I just feel the universe laugh now because they're throwing tantrums and the universe is like, you asked for patience. Like they're your greatest <laughs> teachers and patience. Um, and soul, I have a deep connection with both of them, but soul has appeared in every ceremony. Um, I've, I've merged into him in every ceremony. I've merged into Jaya a couple of times and she's very um, sassy and just the cool girl, you know? Soul though, um, he on my first ceremony told me to make sure to never um, squelch his, um, I don't know if squelch is the right word, but to never like squelch his goofiness and his his um, funny side because he's going to be a leader who heals people through comedy. I don't know if that's someone like Ellen or someone like Tom or Bill Murray. It's his middle name is Murray after Bill Murray actually, but... Um, I don't know, but I know that that was a really 
cool moment for me because all I've wanted to do with my life is heal others. So to think that, you know, that, that desire is going to continue on with your children, you know? So soul, um, also he just says things that are so mystical sometimes, like, um, he's so spiritually mature and he sings, he sings Sanskrit songs before he goes to bed, you know, like (laughs) he's just, he's been, he's been such a teacher for me. And, um, even like there was one day when I was like this, he woke up way too early and I said, soul, it is way too early. The sun's not even awake yet. And he said, mom, I am the sun. You're the sun. We're the light. (laughs) Like he just says things like that when you're like, you're three, you know? Um, but yeah, they've, they've both been my teachers and everything. And whew, parenting is really freaking hard. But if I can recommend any book to parents, uh, The Conscious Parent has really shaped the way that I deal with them and the way I see them as their own, their own they're their own people on their own path. And so many times I feel like we try to mold our kids into who we want them to be and who we mm-hmm. want them to turn turn out to be because it's it's ego. It's they're a reflection of me, you know, um, around other people. But if you can just remember that they're their own beings and all that we are here to do is learn from them and then learn from us and it be more of a um maybe a coaching and not a correcting. Yeah. It's a two-way street. Yeah. You know, like people have this idea that, that we're here to teach our kids and we are to a degree, but we're here to learn just as much as we teach. And, uh, it's exactly what Paul Selig had said to me when I had him tap Mm. into, to, to bear Mm -hmm. the first time I worked with him, he had the guides tap into bear and, and Selig's been, uh, a guest on your show, the magic Mm -hmm. hour. He's Uh. also been a guest a couple of times on the Aubrey Marcus podcast. I I have chills just thinking about him. He's an amazing guy, but yeah. um, he tapped in and spot on. He was like, you think you have this idea of what you want Bear to turn out to be, but that's not the way. Mm-hmm. All you need to do is play with him. All you need to do is show him love. Yeah. And, and that's your guidance. That's all I need He's going to gonna learn from everybody. He's going to choose his own path. And it has nothing yeah. to do with what your plans are. Because I, you know, I want him to learn music. I want him yeah. to learn martial arts. I want him to do all these things because they've been really important and impactful in my life. So those are the things I want to give because it's like, hey man. We have dreams for our kids, yeah. Yeah, like football was great, but jujitsu and wrestling taught me something different Mm -hmm. about myself. You know, single sports and martial arts taught me something different than I got from football or basketball. So wanting those for him, it's it's cute. It's fun to want that, you know, (laughs) but it it really comes down to what he wants for himself and he's going to learn all his lessons in his own way. Yeah. And I think something I see you do and something that I try to do is get on their level instead of always being above them. Also, like, it's so hard sometimes to not scream back, but think about where their whole world. So imagine like the person you love the very most, who's way bigger than you, being above you and screaming at you when they're upset, you know? So I think something that I've really learned is to like get down on their level and be able to look right into their eyes makes all the difference mm-hmm. when when I'm trying to talk to them or calm them down. But something I, I do every day um, is I'll get down on my knees so that I'm eye level with them and I'll say, I'll look in their eyes and say, I love you and I think you're great. And just doing that, I notice such a shift in the rest of the evening or the rest of the day, or if they're in a funk and I do that, there's just such a shift because anytime a child is acting out, that's just them seeking connection, you know? Um, And um, there was one more thing that I was going to say about soul. Um, Oh, my last ceremony. Oh, this is something that I think all parents probably struggle with because back a long time, you know, way back when, we weren't necessarily pursuing other things. We weren't doing podcasts. We weren't um, passionate about making a difference. You know, now I feel like all of our, like all parents, our plates are so full and we're trying to do so many things and play with our kids and stay present with them. And in my last ceremony, I really, really wanted a healing from my shaman. And, but I, I try not, to, I always feel like I'm really needy when I'm around people that I, know I can learn a lot from. So I know, you know, when I, right when I'm around you, I'm like, I have a question, you know, <laughs> and with my shaman, it's like every time I'm around him, I just want to absorb so much. And I try not to go for a healing first because I don't want to be the needy, you know, the needy one. I want others to be able to go up. But so I always try to go second, but the first healing was taking a really long time. And I guess a mess was made. So then there was cleaning done and 
I had transformed into soul at this point. And I was just like, oh my God, I know what he's doing is important about the shaman. I was like, I know what he's doing is important, but I really, really need this healing. And I'm in a, I just feel a lot of emotions right now. And so I was feeling really impatient. And I realized that this is how soul feels when I'm answering emails or when I'm like, even when the shaman was cleaning up after the last healing, I was like, oh man, I was soul thinking about me. Oh man, I'm, she's cleaning now. Oh, she's cleaning again. Like I know everything she's doing is important, but I really, really need her attention. And it just made me realize that everything that they're here for right now is just us. Like we're their whole world. So staying busy all the time and not, so now I've made a goal of just being in their room. It doesn't sound like a big deal, but staying in their room for 45 minutes every day without any phone, no distraction, and just being present with them and being in there. I think it's different when we go to their rooms because they feel like we're actually coming in and spending time with them instead mm -hmm. of it even just being in the living room, you know? Yeah. So I think it's so important to set aside that we just have so many passions these days, you know, setting aside time each day to just be there with them and let, let them feel seen, you know, because we're the most important that we're all that they're here for right now in their minds, you know? So. Yeah. And it it does go quick. You know, it's mm -hmm. funny because like your first six months to a year when you're not getting sleep, you're like, mm. this doesn't go fast at all. Fuck all these yeah. old timers that were telling me it goes quickly and, and cherish And then you look moment. back and you're like, dang, it's yeah. gone. Yeah. They're little yeah. humans now. They got personalities and demands and fucking mm -hmm. bear negotiates everything. Yeah, he <laughs> it's does. Like, so is, does Jaya. Is barter built in to human consciousness? Yeah. Like, is that part of the collective consciousness I know. of humanity to Jaya barter? and bear are more alike. They do it. They do it in so many other countries. And here in the U.S., it's like, this is what you, what you pay for is the fucking sticker price. It yeah. is very rare other than maybe buying a car or a house where we'll negotiate a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's not like the, you go to Afghanistan or any of these other third world countries mm -hmm. and you just have, it's constant, you know? Yeah. And, and even in Peru, when I was down there buying stuff from the Shipibo, we got some art from them. Mm. And I only had a certain amount of money. And the guy kept coming back to me with a little bit less, a little bit less, till he finally let me buy the painting yeah, for remember. what I had. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, damn, like, yeah. <laughs> like everything is barter here. Yeah. Um, but kids are just, they're they're so damn funny. I mean, I that's know. that's some, one of the messages I keep getting in plant medicines is to not take myself so seriously and to yes, not take life take so seriously. I take myself way too damn seriously. Yeah, and it's like, it, that's one of the cool things about kids and pets for that matter. Even and they though, teach you to be in the now. Kids yeah. are in the now. That's another thing. Like if there is an abuse, abusive situation in the home, but the kids still act happy, a lot of times people think they're fine, but it's that's not the case. It's because they live in the now and abuse may have happened that morning and then that afternoon they're acting fine. It's because they're living in that moment, you know? And it's so cute to ask a kid like, what's your favorite part of the day or how are you? Because they're just, they're so different than we are mm -hmm. <laughs> in their answers. And um, Jaya has not showed up so much in my ceremonies. Soul, I've seen actually attend ceremonies with me when he's older and like thanking me for bringing him up in that, which was really cool. I haven't seen Jaya in many of them, but I know she's got a high calling on her life. Um, I was going to name her Viva. Uh, when I was in Brazil at a meditation ashram for six weeks, we were in silence, but on Friday nights we could talk after a documentary and we watched Happy, which later I found out Tom produced. And at the time mm. I hadn't met Tom yet, but I was in such a dark place when I got to that ashram. And when I watched Happy, I was like, that is that is how we should all be living. Like that is the, that's our inner knowing. Like that's how, what we're really meant to be doing. And um, the shaman there said, the maker of this documentary, which uh, not Tom, but the the actual maker was meant to be here to talk to you guys, but they gave birth to their daughter this week and they named her Viva. Mm. And I thought, I'm going to name my daughter Viva so that I always remember this time. So then fast forward four years later, I'm already hanging out with Tom. New Year's Eve, we're on Malibu Beach, we're on a bonfire. Everyone's sober, but just dancing and enjoying themselves. And there's all these directors and actors there that I look up to. And I just remember thinking like, oh, I finally made out made it out here to LA. I finally got out of Austin and made it here. And this little girl's pulling on my pants and her mom says, Viva, don't do that. You're going to pull her pants down. And I was like, well, that's what I'm going to name my daughter. And I told her why. And she goes, oh, that's my film. And so Damn. I was like, yeah, so it was like two key moments in my life where I was enjoying breaking out of darkness or breaking out of a huge, um, you know, or just having a big breakthrough and Viva showed up. So 
Viva means live. And so I was going to name Jaya Viva Karunya, which I know is out there, but it means live compassionately. And her dad was just not having it. And then he was um, unconscious when I had Jaya. He was on another floor. And so I didn't feel right just choosing my name. Like, sorry, when he wakes up, sorry, I chose my name. So I felt like I had to go with his. So I named her Jaya, but I think her nickname is going to be Viva. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Because it just, it's such a big reminder for me. And I've always felt like my daughter was going to be Viva. She was going to be the one that taught people to live compassionately. So I'll tell her that story later and let her decide. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Well, Jai is a beautiful name too. Yeah. So you, you've been a ring girl, just like Tosh. I think that's how y'all met. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. A lot um, of photographers that worked with both of us were like, you guys are the same. And even I worked with a banquet girl, uh, Vi, who was like, you guys are, I just feel like I'm around, when I'm around either of y'all, it's pretty much the same thing. So. Yeah. And now you've, you have a podcast, The Magic Hour mm-hmm. with another ring girl mm-hmm. with uh, Mercedes, Mercedes Terrell, yeah. who, and she's still in Bellator. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 10 yeah. years now. Damn. Yeah. She's an OG. <laughs> and you know, I wanted to ask you because you guys have started Red Hot and it's something that you had talked with me about extensively before mm-hmm. starting the podcast where all the do's and don'ts and what's the best way to set it up mm-hmm. and all the typical questions. And one of the things that I mentioned to you was something that I'd learned from Tim Ferriss, who wrote an excellent blog on starting a podcast. Mm-hmm. He said, your first five episodes suck. Mm-hmm. No matter what, they're going to suck. You'll improve. Just stick with it. Most shows don't go past five episodes for that very yeah, reason. Our first episode is still like one of our best ones because it's Paul Selig, but. Well, that's what I was getting at. Like you guys just came red hot out of the gate and it's blown me away. You know, I oh, jumped thanks. on your podcast last night uh-huh. and the first thing I told Tosh when she asked how it went was I was like, they're fucking seasoned. Really? Like really seasoned. And it just blew me away. The flow that you both had, especially doing Skype interviews, which. I fucking hate because it's hard to read people. It's hard to know when to interject. And we know nothing else. So I've done one done. interview with the the Viome guy, Naveen Jain, and um, I didn't like how that turned out. I'm sure some people didn't notice, but it, it drove me fucking crazy. Mm. So I was like, that's it. Either they can fly here and we'll pay for it mm-hmm. or they're not coming on the show. Yeah. yeah. It may, <sighs> Skype, at least you can see them because I've done a few over the phone and you just don't know there's just yeah somebody could be rolling no in their eyes while you're talking I yeah mean, and you're yeah, not you feeding off anything. the energy right mm-hmm. um and i like i like to be able to look at the person like in the eye like we've had people i think three guests now like cry during the interview and imagine if we were just on the phone you know so yeah. i can imagine being in person how much better it would be but this is the best we can do because she lives in california i live here and our guests are all over the place so yeah um, it is nice that it pays for the guests to fly into town or for yeah. me to fly to them. That's, that's a fucking huge perk. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you, because you've had some really cool people on your show. Who've been your favorite guests and what are your main takeaways from them? Oh, I, we've we've had a bunch of amazing guests. We've only had one that was just straight up not nice to us. Um, <laughs> but... You want to blast them right now? <laughs> kind of, but I won't. Um, <laughs> oh, you're so gentle. <laughs> the thing is, is it it all depends on what that person brings because um, like you, I had a really freaking bad day yesterday and you showing up and being you, it's like all that just went away. Every time I see you and I get a hug from you, it like melts off. So there was no concern of like, oh crap, and I have an episode to record tonight because I knew it was you. And it, you know, there's been people who've shown up and you can tell they haven't had a very good day. So it's a bummer because you know their potential. So it is, it's hard because you never know what you're going to get. It could be someone you've read their book and they're amazing, but they're not used to podcasting, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's been interesting with everyone, but the person for sure, um, that has just in that one episode alone has really changed my life was Paul Selig because it's unreal. Like your conversation with him is just you, your consciousness is raised in that one, just listening to his voice, Mm -hmm. you feel a different frequency, you know? Um, And there's no doubt that what he's saying to you is like, that is from the spiritual realm. Like that is a guy. That's the first thing I thought was, I don't know if this guy is actually channeling or not, but what he's saying is fucking spot on because it just resonates with me. And one of the things he talks about is that as you listen to to him speak, 
through Audible or on podcasts, there's an attunement. There is. Even yeah. if you don't say the things with mm-hmm. them, even if you don't say the words with them, there is an attunement in hearing those words. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly been the case for me. I think for Aubrey and a lot of people, Duncan Trussell, who Aubrey and I first heard him on the Duncan Trussell Family Hour, they did a live podcast at the Bell House Theater in wow. Brooklyn. And it was fucking rad. They did podcasted you for an hour. Stuff happening in your life when he came in your life that week? Like spiritual type stuff? Um, Life got harder. <laughs> yeah. Like a, 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 the, at Boulder Psychic Institute, they call it a growth period. You know, like growing pains suck, but you're growing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's it's funny because it's all perception. You know, mm-hmm. that's one of the beautiful things of plant medicines is that you see with new eyes, but it's how you're perceiving it. And Godzi was just on uh, Aubrey Marcus's a fourth time and they talk about go mm-hmm. for your win, but he, he gives so much credence to the struggle, to whatever resistance you have in your life because resistance is what makes you stronger. Resistance is the thing that gets brought in from the universe or God or whatever you want to call it. To wake you up. Yeah. That's what's going to get you to be the person you can potentially be. Yeah. Without that, there is no growth. And it's like, I always ask myself, do you want the short suffering or the long suffering? You know, like if you're going to resist it, you may not suffer now, but you're going to suffer later. Whereas if you embrace it and you allow it to to let to grow to to face the growing pain, then it's going to be a short suffering. You know, there may be more suffering later in different areas, but um, it's everything that comes to us, every opposition, every resistance. Like Tom says, is God in drag. It's like what it's here to teach you something. <laughs> you know, the the person even harassing you or or saying your podcast sucks, whatever. First of all, they're telling you about them, not you. But they're God and drag. They're here to teach you something. You know. So, I love Eric. I know he's along. Uh, says all the same stuff. So we yeah, we'll probably have powerful. him on four times. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm having him back on. He uh, we just released his podcast this week, and even though there's a six week waiting period. I want yours to release Friday. So we're going to push this one up and release it before you have your event here this weekend. Oh, add on it to help promote. So I want to tell people about the event you're putting on with yeah. like three, one person that I don't know, but two of my absolute favorite people on the planet will be there. Yes. Um, so this Sunday at on it, we're going to do a move with magic. Um, first of all, the promo of this has made people a little bit nervous because it's a sober event and you're going to be moving around. And the thought of like dancing around soberly for a lot of people makes them uncomfortable. But what's so great about that is you're getting, what better way to get rid of your ego than to dance in public, you know, and and be goofy. And I mean, at your house, you and Tasha are always dancing. So y'all are vets at this. But what I notice in ecstatic dance is that for the first 30 to 45 minutes, I'm judging myself. I'm, I, I don't think, I don't think, I'm not aware if I am judging others around me, but I'm I am pretty hard on myself. So I'm judging myself. I'm still getting everything off my shoulders that I've been carrying in there. And then once you hit the 30 or 45 minute mark, if you can stay in it for that long, you start to have a download. And it's almost like a plant medicine ceremony in itself. Um, this last Sunday, I know I'm getting off a little bit, but this last Sunday I went to ecstatic dance in Austin. So if you live in Austin, there's an amazing ecstatic dance community. It's like 250 people just dancing so happily. So Saturday night, I was crying because my heart was in pain. And Sunday morning, I was crying because I was overwhelmed with joy and gratitude, just watching all these people dance freely. And I was just celebrating the fact that I am free. I'm free to dance. And there were people meditating in the corner, people crying in the corner because they were watching what I was watching. And then there were people dancing with these cheesy, big ass grins on their face. (laughs) And then there were people slow moving with their eyes closed, you know, and it was just it was it was ceremonial, you know? And so we're going to be doing that Sunday here with Parangi. At On It. At On It. So what we're going to start with is um, it starts at 1.30. There'll be a silent auction because we're trying to raise money for SAFE. Um, there's so, so much. Texas is the number one um, state for child abuse. And um, it's got three of the top cities for child sex trafficking. So SAFE is based in Austin and they're trying to put a stop to that. So that's why we chose SAFE. It's something super near and dear to my heart. Um, All the money from the event is going to go towards them. So there'll be a silent auction in the beginning for that. And then we'll have Melody F. Cammy. She's got a pretty big following here in Austin for some uh, choreographed dance classes. That's another great way to get rid of your ego is to take a dance class where you don't know the choreography. Um, And 
she still, even though you may not learn the moves, you'll still feel like, man, I could be Beyonce's backup dancer when you leave her class because she's so empowering and she like really makes you feel sexy when you're doing her. I mean, the moves are sexy in itself. So um, there's that from two to four. And then from four to six, we're going to have Aaron Alexander, which, you know, um, a line podcast. He's going to be leading us in some stretch, some yoga, some breath work. We're going to talk to him. Um, the magic hour podcast is going to talk to him also. And then from six to nine, Aubrey's going to talk to Parangi. Um, it was going to be us, but Aubrey stepped in. He's going to do it. And we're honored to have him be a part of the event. And then Parangi's going to lead us in some ecstatic dance with his live music. And Ashley, his partner, is going to guide us in some um, meditation and journaling. And I'm just super excited because not only are the lives going to be changed that we're donating to it safe, but there's no way you're going to come to this event and leave not feeling like your higher self and not feeling like, whew, everything is off my shoulders. And I'm sure there's going to be some tears in there too, because it's just, whether it's from joy or releasing some sadness, because it's just so freaking powerful to, to dance, you know? Um, and we're encouraging people to come sober. Um, I know some people want to microdose. That's fine. I, you know, whatever you want to do, but we're not going to be serving alcohol. It's going to be all like tea and the Onnit Cafe is going to be open. So I really, really encourage you that if you're not in Austin to find an ecstatic dance community in your city, but if you can come this Sunday, it would be amazing. We'd love to have you. It's for a good cause. And um, the conversations are going to be, I bet something I love about events like this is you could go up to anyone in the room and have a really good conversation because that's the people that are drawn to this event, you know, or what we're all trying to gravitate towards. So. Yeah. Hell yeah. Like-minded people on the growth yeah. path. Yeah. Well, it has been awesome having <laughs> you on the podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jade. We will get this one turned around very quickly. That way we can promote the event. Yeah. And uh, let us know when when my episode drops on your podcast yeah. and we'll help promote that as well. You're another guest that we're so stoked to have you. I said Paul Selig, but Tom Shadiak, Eric Gotzi, um, Peter is airing this week and it's about Tantra and it's freaking amazing Ooh. and he's so hot. So <laughs> just, <laughs> it's, he, he really um, gave us a big um, blessing because he's so much what we want in a man, like what we want all women to have in their partner. So yeah, those, those three episodes, yours, you know, we want to air as soon as possible too. But yeah, if you like Paul Seligs, Eric Gotzi, Tom Shadiak and Peter, those four are really life-changing. Those are our favorites. Oh, yeah. So yeah. All right. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming yeah. on. Oh, where can people find you online on the social channels and all that good stuff? Um, so the podcast is at the magic hour, but with a J for Mercedes and Jade. So that's the magic hour podcast um, on Instagram and Facebook at the magic hour. Me, uh, it's at the Jade Bryce because Jade Bryce was taken by a 15 year old English girl. <laughs> so hello, governor. Yeah. <laughs> so at the Jade Bryce. Um, and uh, we try really hard to answer everybody and, and interact with everybody. And we actually let them send in questions for, you know, we had a good couple of questions for you. So. Yeah. I had some good questions. Yeah. One that I hated and one I that I really liked. Yeah. I got to tell it how it is. <laughs> yeah. No, we're, we're thankful. So. Awesome. Well, it's been great having you. Thank yeah, you so much, thanks. Jade. I love thanks you. Me. Love you too. Yo, yo, yo. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode. Please hit us up on the Instagram or Twitter, and we will get back with any questions you have regarding this podcast. If you can make it here, please come to the event Sunday at On It. It's going to be rad. That's Sunday, March 10th. We're going to have Parangi in the house and my boy, Aaron Alexander, and then uh, that girl doing dance lessons. I forget her name. Lo Siento. All right, players. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, as always, 10% off all supplements and food products at onit.com slash podcast.